In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There you are amongst the crowds, coming from town upon town, all gathering around Jesus, who has been known to heal unhealable diseases, to cast out demons that none could cast out. With throngs of people you gather around him, and the sense of importance permeates the air. He opens his mouth to preach to this great crowd and you among them. And what does he say? Only this. A sower goes out to sow. As he sows his seed, some falls upon the path. It's trampled underfoot and eaten by birds. Other of the seed falls upon a rock ledge with very shallow soil, springs up for a moment and then dies. Others falls upon thorns, but the thorns, growing quicker and taller, choke out the good plants. Still other seed falls on good soil and bears a hundredfold fruit. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's it. That's the end. Particularly edifying, particularly enlightening, I take great comfort in the fact that our Lord himself preached incomprehensible sermons from time to time. Edifying, enlightening, no. And that's rather the point, as Jesus himself comes to say. The disciples pull him aside in private, Mark tells us, and they ask what the meaning of this parable is. Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Or maybe a little more literally, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the reign of God but not to all. He preaches in parables, as he says, so that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. Here our Lord quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Now, why? What could be the reason and purpose for this? Those who reject the plain word will hear the parables and not profit. Jesus puts it exactly this way. To those who have not, even what they think they have will be taken away. So in one sense, the parables are a curse to unbelief. But in the other sense, the parables are a blessing to belief, to faith. Jesus puts it this way. To the one who has, even more will be given. So the parables are a judgment upon unbelief, but enlightenment to those who will believe. Our Lord desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Thus we see the sower in his parable scattering seeds all the places a sower wouldn't scatter them, on the path, 
on the rock with thin layer of soil on top, and amongst the weeds. But here we see how our Lord Jesus spreads his word of salvation everywhere. We hear, too, in the parable that the crop will bear fruit a hundredfold. There's some question about how precisely to calculate this, but suffice it to say, a great yield would normally be tenfold. So the fact that Jesus says a hundredfold would cause eyebrows to raise and jaws to pop. This is a miraculous yield. So we see these things, knowing that God desires all men to be saved, and yet some are not. Why? What is the cause? Is there some deficiency with the sower or with the seed? It will help if we remember the context in which Jesus preaches this sermon to the crowds. Immediately prior to this, he's invited to a dinner party at the house of a man named Simon, a Pharisee. Simon doesn't care too much for Jesus. That much is evident. He shows him no hospitality, even though he's invited him into his home. No water to wash his feet. No oil for his head. Present at this dinner party with the Pharisee is another woman, a notorious and public sinner. We don't know the exact nature of her sin, but in all likelihood, she was likely a prostitute or an adulterer. She comes up to Jesus while he's reclining at table and washes his feet, not with water, but with her own tears, and dries his feet, not with a towel, but with her own hair. She anoints not his head, she sees herself unworthy to do so, but instead anoints his feet. Jesus says two astounding things to her. In the first place, he looks her right in the eye and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the second thing he says, your faith has saved you. As if we even needed to add the words faith alone, Jesus has demonstrated that plainly. He says to the woman, not your faith and the fact that you've done enough good deeds, not your faith and the fact that you've borne enough fruit, your faith has saved you. Jesus has come not only for the Pharisee, but for the sinner, for the worst of the worst. And this inclusive and expansive vision of Christ's kingdom is further shown when Luke tells us that Jesus had not only the 12 male disciples, but that he also broke the common practice of the rabbis of that day and included women in his inner circle. Luke names some of them, and some of these women are instrumental in funding the ministry of Jesus as he travels about. Our Lord's kingdom expands to sinners of every kind, even the worst of the worst, expands out beyond men, even to women. And finally, we see a great crowd gathering around him. We would assume that this great crowd marks great success, right? But that's not how Jesus sees it. 
this great crowd has gathered around him so that he would take care of their symptoms, but not the cause. Heal my blind eyes, my deaf ears, my lame feet. Cast out this demon or that. Symptoms. But Jesus has come to take away the very cause of all of these curses, to take away the curse himself by bearing it on the cross. The crowd sees this not. They want the miracles. They want the earthly relief. But they don't want the deeper cleansing and salvation. So Jesus decides to speak to them in parables. That seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand, that those who have not even what they think they have will be taken away. What then does this parable of Jesus mean to those to whom it has been given to know the mysteries of the reign of God? No better to describe it than our Lord himself, and thank goodness he does. Now, the parable is this, he tells his disciples. The seed is the word of God. And now suddenly it all clicks in our minds. This seed, this word of God, this proclamation of the forgiveness of sins goes out everywhere because Christ desires that all would be saved. He scatters that seed of his word, that reckless love as we just sang, in all kinds of places, indiscriminately and to all. We see that that seed, which a normal way of looking at it, was, that's a waste. You're simply throwing it on the streets, on the rocks, in the weeds. That precious seed was bought at great cost. And that cost paid by Jesus himself on the cross They're making atonement for all the sins. They're purchasing that seed, that word of forgiveness that can be distributed absolutely everywhere. And we see too then, as Jesus says, that the ones along the path, along the road, are those who have heard this word. Then the devil, remember the birds that come and snatch it away? Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. In this first instance, if God desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, why are these men not saved? Is it because of the sower? No, he sows. Is it because of the seed? No, it's there. What is the cause? Human hearts, hard as a path, and the devil swooping in and snatching that gospel away. Those are the causes. Not Jesus, not his word. Second instance, Jesus says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. So much for once saved, always saved. They believe, Jesus says, and yet they fall away. 
Why? What's the cause here? Is the cause in the sower? No. Is the cause in his seed? No. The cause is in the shallowness, the shallowness, the rootlessness of their sinful hearts. So they fall away. Third, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, literally the worries, and the riches, literally the abundance, and the pleasures, the Greek word from which we get hedonism of this life. And their fruit does not mature. And finally, the fourth kind. As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. Catechusin is the word from which we get catechism. They hold fast the word in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience, or more literally, with endurance. What's the difference between these and the previous group? The previous group, the fault again is not with the sower or with the seed, but rather with the worries, cares, the wealth or abundance, the pleasures and desires of a fallen world that come up and choke out the seed. Here in the good soil, we see rather those who hold fast to the word in an honest and good heart, bearing fruit with patience. So in summary, what do we have? Hard soil, shallow soil, weed-infested soil, and good soil. What would the concern be for us? That we not be any of these bad soils, but that we be good soil. How does soil become good? Well, we are told that the soil is an honest and good heart. Where do we receive an honest and good heart? It's not by nature ours. By that word of forgiveness proclaimed by Jesus. By the gospel itself that sets us free so that we can be honest with God and with one another as we were moments ago confessing our sins publicly, without hypocrisy, saying we know what is right, we know what God would have for us, and yet we know we fall short of this glory and are saved by a righteousness not our own, are cleansed solely by the blood of Jesus. And that all-sufficient blood is just that, all-sufficient And therefore, we can be honest and good and receive the word of God in its fullness. Fruitfulness is the point. But what is fruitfulness in this parable of Jesus? Is it faith? Maybe. Good works? Kind of. But no sower sows seed just to see little green things sticking out of the earth. Every sower sows seed in order to have crop, abundant fruit. And it's the same for Jesus. Why does he sow the seed of his gospel? That we might be the fruit of eternal life. 
fruit in this parable is salvation. The three fall short of salvation. Why? We could summarize in just the way that Luther does in his small catechism. The devil, the world, and our sinful nature. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The devil, the world, and the sinful nature are those only things that would drive us away from him. But as for him, as for his sower, as for his seed, it is all of one will that you would be saved, that you would know that your sins are forgiven. What then shall we say? Appearances can be deceiving. On the outside, Simon the Pharisee would have looked like excellent soil. In fact, his heart was as hard as rock. And on the outside, that sinful woman, prostitute, adulterer, whatever she may have been, would have looked like the most wretched and hardened soil. And yet we see in her good soil indeed. What would God have of you? That you hold his word in your heart, that you hold it fast, guarding it against the devil, the world, and yes, your own sinful nature, that you would hold it with patience and endurance, knowing that your salvation is taking time. Who knows when the Lord will call you home? You need only be patient and endure. Know that there is a devil There are temptations and trials. There are worries and riches and pleasures of life that would distract you. So as our Lord himself will say, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear his word and cling to it as if your life depended upon it, because indeed it does. So this day, as the sower sows his seed, know that your sins are forgiven. Take care how you hear, and let no one take this from you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.